What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, aka John and John. I'm going to start this episode with a question for my pal John Wilner. Wilner, Halloween is done. There's some leftover candy. I still have Halloween decorations in the front yard. And I have neighbors who have put up their Christmas stuff already. I have a question. How many days, how long do I have to take the Halloween decorations down before uh, I am violating seasonal regulations? I would give you through this week. Now, are you going to put up Thanksgiving decorations? I think I'm going to skip the Thanksgiving holiday. I'm going to, as far as decorations are concerned, I'm going to, I'm going to sit that one out because, yeah, it falls on me. The kids helped put the Halloween stuff up, but they're not interested now in picking up all the bones and the skulls and the fake uh, headstone tombstones out of the front yard. And I got a neighbor directly across the street who literally has his Christmas lights up and on right now, and so I'm going. I got to, I got to address this. I don't know if I have the weekend, you know. Through the weekend, the end of the week? I don't know. I think you can get away with keeping the Christmas lights up longer than the Halloween decorations. That's kind of my my sense. The bigger question is, how long do you let the candy sit around the house? I know. That's yeah. a problem. Like, I'm having a couple pieces of my kids' candy, I don't know, every couple of hours. And uh, uh, we need to donate it or do something with it because there's way more than – would be good for us to eat. My father-in-law is from Taiwan, and he is—he uh, moved in with us a few months ago. And he—they don't—they don't celebrate Halloween there. And so we were taking the kids out trick or treating, and we suddenly realized that he was going to be the one answering the door. And so we had this con- quick conversation on our way out with you know seventy-seven-year-old Taiwanese guy. Hey, people are going to be ringing the doorbell. They're going to be dressed in costumes. They're going to say trick or treat, give them, uh, and we went full size candy bars, give them one candy bar. Okay. Give them a candy bar. Okay. You got that? And he was wet. Like what's happening? Like, you know, like he was totally confused. And so we leave to go trick or treating. And as we're walking around the neighborhood, I'm kind of watching on, you know, we've got cameras set up security system and I'm kind of watching on the cameras to see what happens. Cause my fear is people are going to knock on the door. He's not going to hear it. Not, you know, people are going to be like, what the hell? Kanzano, your lights are on, your decorations are out, n- nobody's answering the door. And so finally, I see him answer the door, and I'm like, okay, good. And then there's like eight kids on the porch. He invites the kids into the house. So now I have, there's eight kids, trick-or-treaters coming into the house, and so I'm telling my, <laughs> tapping my wife on the shoulder going, hey, call your dad, tell him they don't come into the house. He just gives them a candy bar on the doorstep and sends Classic. them on their way. So. It was kind of Classic. a scene. Kind of a scene. How was the scene at your house? Your, are your kids dressing up still, or are they too old now? No, my uh, they're dressing up. My son went as a donut. Uh, my daughter went as a vampire. But first, my son, he's a big baseball fan. First, he wanted to go as a Philly fanatic. Oh, Problem yeah. with that was, if you go on Amazon, all you can do is get like a little hat, Philly fanatic hat. If you want the whole costume that you got to deal with the, you know, the Phillies website and all that, it got yeah. kind of pricey. And yeah. so we're, we were just like, let's, let's find something else. So we first looked at a, um, a hamburger that didn't work. So we went, he ended up being a donut. Uh, and we actually, we don't trick or treat in our 
on our block. We go a few blocks away and, uh, you know, leave candy out front. Wait, light what's, on the, what's and, the issue with your block? You got it. You got beef with the neighbors or what's going on? here? No, no, no. It's just the the in our larger neighborhood, there's like a concentrated area where all the kids go just because of. It, you know, uh, the the way the streets are arranged and the, and the houses and it's people from all over the place go there. So that's that's kind of what we do. More of a high volume thing. So instead of going door to door to door. Yes, and, that's the whole and, that's the whole point. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many how much candy can you get in a one block radius? And that's that that is the the prime driver for us on on with the trick-or-treating. I gave my wife a hard time because she came home from Costco with one of those giant bags of kind of the mini candies, and I said, we can't, we can't give those away. We gave away full-size candy bars last year. We have to go full-size. So she went back out and got the full-size ones, and she got um, she got Reese's. She got Baby Ruth. She got Hershey's. She's got Snickers, Three Musketeers. She's got Butterfingers. And now I have a bowl of all those things sitting around. And you're right. You're, uh, I I just had a baby Ruth right before we uh, recorded this podcast. Yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> Very problematic. Uh, this episode is uh, sponsored by Pacific Seafood. You want good food? How about a third-generation family-owned business based in Portland? They're on a mission to feed the world the healthiest protein on the planet. PacificSeafood.com is where you can find their products. Uh, our family, we uh, we have used Pacific Seafood for years. We do a seafood boil every summer. I reach out and I look at their website. I pick out what we want. Very easy to order on their website. And we've got a promo code for you. Uh, I'm going to give it to you here in just a second. But, Wilner, uh, Pacific Seafood, kind of new to you, but I think you're excited about maybe uh, maybe ordering some. Oh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, they they ship all over the place. I mean, it's perfect for Pac-12 fans, right? I mean, you got schools going to the Big Ten and the ACC and the Big Twelve, and Pacific Seafoods, you know, does does that too. They go to all those regions as well. Okay. Uh, their products are frozen at peak freshness, and you can enjoy them through the holiday season, through basketball, March Madness, and next summer when all the schools are all over the place and they best thing is they got you covered with gift cards pre-curated surf and turf assortments there's filet mignon in addition to all types of seafood it's just uh it's a fabulous situation yeah you go with the surf and turf you can't go wrong there and i and, and for people who want to are looking for a holiday gift pacific seafood is basically it's high-end restaurant quality products i mean and and they have stuff you won't find in grocery stores uh dungeness crab colossal lobster tails sushi grade tuna a lot more go to pacificseafood.com here's the promo code when you get to the where to buy button use the code Kanzano and wilner at checkout and you get 12 percent off your online purchase so use the promo code Kanzano and wilner and Pacific Seafood's got you covered. We uh, really appreciate their support. And that's this. yeah. Go ahead. That's with the ampersand, right? Right. The ampersand. Yes. Is that's right. That's sign. And sign. Kanzano and Wilner. If you want to read John Wilner, you can read him at Pac12Hotline.com. That's where you find all of his great reporting and writing about the Pac12 conference. And if you want to read me, you can find me at JohnKanzano.com. Get a paid subscription or a free subscription at JohnKanzano.com and. Uh, I've got you covered. I try to give you in-depth reporting that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, this week, Wilner, I, I took a deep dive. I 
I, I have been curious about the judge in the center of the court case in Whitman County Court, Pac-12 getting sued by Oregon State and Washington State. Gary Leiby, the folksy judge, I did a deep dive on him, found out who he is, talked to his wife, talked to people in the community, uh, talked to him. Got a, you know, I got a call back from the judge. I was surprised to, you know, to get a call back. My phone rang. He was on recess at having lunch, and he said, hey, I'm just calling you back. And he was happy to talk about how he got his start, you know, how he thinks as a judge and how he can be impartial in a case that features Washington State right there in his county. Did you ask him if he can void my speeding ticket and from Colfax <laughs> and from, know. like, 2017? You had so many Washington State fans or visiting Pac-12 fans who said that had similar comments about the tickets. If you are driving on that highway that goes between Spokane and Pullman, you need to slow your roll in Colfax. Otherwise, uh, you may see some judge in some courthouse in that county. Um, I was just, it was just interesting because I, you know, I had I had a lot of questions for him. Wanted to know, find out who he was. You know, his dad was a police officer. His mother worked at Montgomery Wards. He's got two kids. He has a son who played football at Idaho State. Was a team captain at Idaho State. Walk on became a team captain. Judge Libby, um, his wife Trudy is a hoot. She was a former dental assistant who, uh, you know, she as I'm talking to her, she's just like, you know, oh, honey, we went on our first date and t- tells me about the first date that she had with uh, with Gary Leiby, who we all know as Judge Leiby. And, and it, but I finally got him on the phone and it was interesting to kind of ask him, you know, how he approaches cases. And we all think about this is the biggest case, this Pac-12, Washington State, Oregon State, what's going to happen? But, you know, he was he was working on a aggravated murder trial just a week or two ago and he's got you know he's got important stuff in front of him day after day after day and so he just said he wakes up every morning he looks himself in the mirror and he sort of says you know would I want to be judged by me today like be that kind of judge ask myself that every day and I thought it was a great approach and he did say that you know when as it pertains to Washington State because people have pointed out that you know, he was the president of the Cougar Club in Whitman County. How can you be impartial? And he says, well, he sees cases every day that involve Washington State, like all the time. Like Washington State is suing someone else. Someone else is suing Washington State. An employee has a case against Washington State. You know, he says it's all the time. He says, I do, I do, uh, I would do with this case what I do with every other case. He said, I would treat them the same as everybody. So I think it's just really interesting to get his perspective. 72-year-old guy. Super philanthropic, really interesting backstory They uh, about how they won a Porsche in a boat in a raffle, what they did with it. If you want to read it, people can read it at johnconzano.com. But uh, I had a lot of fun talking to him. That's a great topic. Uh, I I still, I'm skeptical that the 10 schools are going to let him, uh, when push comes to shove, as we get to what November 14th is a preliminary injunction hearing. I, I am skeptical that the 10 schools are going to let him rule on this whole thing maybe there'll be a settlement beforehand i don't know but uh gosh it's it feels like uh a home field advantage for the cougars there's just no doubt about it yeah and it had but it has to be i you know i kind of talked to the attorneys on both sides and i said why why does this get filed in whitman county well washington state and oregon state are filing this case and they're naming the pac-12 they're not going to go down to 
L.A. and file it. They're not going to go to Arizona and file it. I mean, this is where they're going to file it. So I, I think they will get a ruling on November 14th. The question is, will he rule from the bench, as he did with the restraining order? Will he say, okay, I'm hearing two hours of testimony here, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, uh, take some time to issue a ruling? Or will they have a settlement? Um, I know that Washington, we, I think we talked a couple podcasts ago about the fact that Washington had not provided discovery. Uh, they did provide the initial sort of uh, trove of discovery on Monday of this week. So I think Washington is is moving along, and it'll be interesting to see how the sides play in court and how they play as it pertains to a settlement. Do you think a settlement is realistic, or do you think Washington State and Oregon State really are after more discovery here? I think it depends on what they get in, in- a settlement, you know, they have a time issue, right? The the ten could try to drag this thing on and on. And Washington State, and Oregon State, got to they got to get moving with their schedule and their plans for next season. So time is uh, not on their side at this point. They had they had time back in August when, when this whole thing started, but they don't really anymore. And so I I wonder if if uh, stall tactics are the way the ten are you know trying to go here, but. November 14th, we'll get some kind of clarity, if, if not before then. And and Washington's motion to join, for the for those who didn't follow, you know, Washington's trying to join it, to, which is part of the process of, of eventually getting it dismissed, that there was supposed to be a hearing, I think, on October 25th. That has now been lopped in with the preliminary injunction hearing on November 14th. So all that stuff will take place at once if there's no settlement ahead of time. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see that theater and how it plays out. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of legalese that day, but I think Oregon State and Washington State, they, you know, they want clarity. They want to move on. Um, uh, hearing more and more, Wilner, maybe I can share this here, hearing more and more that it, the for 2024, it's probably more likely that there's a scheduling partnership with the Mountain West than them trying to go on their own. I know they've modeled both paths. I know they think they can do both paths, but uh, I don't think it's going to be positioned as a merger or a reverse merger in 2024 for the very reasons you point out. I think they want to have clarity on what assets they control. Are they in control of the conference? They need that clarity before they can, I think, do anything. So I think 2024, as we see all these schedules getting released by the various conferences, 2024 is probably going to feature Oregon State and Washington State playing some of the high-end or top-tier Mountain West teams in sort of a crossover series, and then they'll play each other. There may be, there might even be a home and home series with Washington State and Oregon State. I don't know. Well, if they have a home and home, right? That's that's two games, and they've got three scheduled non-conference. So that would mean they need to play what seven, seven. Mountain yeah. West schools. Yeah, and a home and home is not unprecedented. Uh, I think a couple schools did it in 2019, prior to the pandemic. There, as you know, conferences were realigning then, and so. Um, you know, you could do it. You could pull that off for one year. But the thing is, December 4th is the portal opening. And if you're Oregon State and Washington State, you have to have some time in front of that portal opening to show your athletes what you're doing, to unveil it for your athletes. And so I think we're down to, you know, the timeline for them. As you point out, the clock's ticking. That's the timeline. You can't wait till December 3rd at midnight to, to, really, to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. I think they have to know the week of the Pac-12 championship game or sooner, what they're going to do, because they got to sell their athletes on it. Yep. What did you think of the 
playoff rankings. I I was pleasantly surprised. I like I've got so used to the committee dissing the Pac-12 conference that it was just nice to see the top one loss team be from the Pac-12. It was a show of respect from the committee. Uh, there were some interesting things that happened. I think you know I think the committee clearly was telling Washington that it didn't like how the Huskies have played in the last couple of weeks, and I don't think the Huskies have liked how they played. So, you know, I think they would have been fourth had they been more impressive. But they put Oregon right on their heels and in front of Texas. And so I think the committee was saying, hey, a three-point road loss at Washington is uh, better than the loss that, that uh, Texas suffered to Oklahoma. And, and then the win over Utah must have been given some weight. Even though Texas has a win over Alabama, I think the committee was sort of recognizing how difficult it is to go into Rice-Eccles Stadium and make Utah look that bad. So, I mean, Washington and Oregon, clearly they win out. One or the other wins out. They're going to get in the playoff. I, absolutely. Well, and I think Washington's got a great chance to get it get in even if, they're, if they don't win out, right? The, the Pac-12 needs two schools in the conference championship game that have one loss because that way you, the winner is almost assured to go to the playoff. That That is like the, the no-lose scenario. So in order for that to happen, Oregon's got to win out and the Huskies – they can afford to win, lose once. Uh, that too, it was and, interesting uh, to see you know, all, the, see the Pac-12 teams that were you know sixteen to twenty-five. There was well, that's the key. Yeah. That's the whole key too, because at you know the committee is going to use wins against ranked teams, ranked in their own standings, not in the AP poll. Wins against ranked teams are a crucial differentiator, and the more teams the Pac-12 has in, the more wins against ranked opponents, you know, it's playoff contenders are going to have, you know, and that all gets back to the first few weeks of the season and how important those non-conference games are and coming out of there three and oh, if you're, if you're three and oh, you got a much better chance to be in these rankings. Pac-12 did a great job in non-conference. So you got four teams in that 16 to 20 range. And that creates a scenario where the champion is going to have a lot of victories against ranked teams, probably more than Florida state, for instance, uh, just because the ACC doesn't have many and more than, you know, a big 12 champ, most likely. Uh, and even big 10 pac 12 has got more ranked teams than any of those leagues, except for the S sec. Yeah. And I think that's why in, in, for people who are wondering, it's, it's ranked in the week before. So it's not like if they're ranked now, um, you know, you're going to get that. You're going to get that uh, that credit. It's going to be in the final standings. So the week before the final standings was that team ranked, and so that's why it's important. You know, Oregon State plays Washington and Oregon still. So if you're a Husky fan or a Duck fan, you want Oregon State to keep winning. You like to play them, uh, you know, when they are and keep them ranked, and so that yep. at the end of the year, that's a quality top 25 <laughs> win. And and it's interesting. That's why you know there's there's some big games this week that we're going to talk about here. It's really interesting because I've heard people say, well, who should I be rooting for? And so there's an element of the standings, and then there's an element of, hey, is it important for Oregon that USC stays ranked? I was looking at the standings, Wilner, and I, I think it's possible we get some crazy things this weekend that you could have a two-loss team in the Pac-12 championship game. And we're talking about the playoff, but there may there's a secondary race going on behind this that involves UCLA and Oregon State and, you know, USC uh, to a large extent. So we'll get into all of that. Should we hit to the picks? 
Let's head to the picks. We got six games, right? Yep, six games this week. Everybody's in action. Nothing on Friday. So we got it's a busy Saturday and it's also kind of backloaded, right? There's one early game, there's one afternoon game, and then there's four games starting at 4 30 or later. So the games that should be the most competitive are uh the later games. Let's start so, let's start with Arizona State at Utah. Eleven AM, Pac twelve network. Uh Utah's an eleven point favorite. How do you feel? You know, I looked up U- Utah is nine and two after losses in the regular season for the last five years. And I can't believe that they are not going to come with a lot of urgency after getting embarrassed by, by the ducks. So it, this is bad timing for ASU. ASU's played a lot of teams close. They played uh, Washington close, right? They played Colorado close USC, good games. This is terrible timing for them to go to Salt Lake when Utah is going to be spitting blood. So I actually have picked Utah to cover the 11 uh, as well as ASU has played on defense. I think I think Utah is going to going to roll. I I think Utah wins the game. I just think they're too beat up and I can't maybe maybe it's because I saw it. I was there last week at Rice Eccles Stadium. and I just saw Oregon dominate them. Kyle Whittingham afterwards said it was the it was more lopsided than the 35 to six score. And they didn't score a touchdown. They didn't look competitive. You know, maybe a lot of that had to do with Oregon, but they're beat up. There was a bunch of guys on the sideline and crutches hobbling around. Um, Arizona State got a little confidence last week, played really well at home against Washington State. Prior to that, Arizona State's losses were by eight points, three points, and three points. I texted Kenny Gillingham about two weeks ago, and I said, your team's playing hard. That's a, that's difficult to do when you're not getting a result. I, I got to give him credit. I'm going to take Arizona State in the 11. I'm going to go against you here. But I think Utah wins but doesn't cover. I had it 28-20, something like that. I just don't think Utah is uh, healthy enough to run away from anybody. 11 points is a lot of points for them. It is. It is. That's them. a tough place to play for opposing yeah. quarterbacks. Yep. Utah, I'll tell you what, Utah's the injured guys – for Utah, th- they would finish in the middle of the pack. If that was a team, that would be a competitive team in the in the Pac-12. That's yeah. how many guys they got hurt. Good yeah. players. Yeah, that last hurt. week was the first time I kind of saw that. Last week was the first time I saw a little bit of the uh, you know the lack the depth. It was it became a, there was a depth issue that was happening. And but you're right, their seconds are and they have such great culture. And that's the you know people who listen to this podcast or read me know the respect I have for Kyle Whittingham and that coaching staff. They're they have such great culture. That's why I think they'll win the game. But I think it's going to be a little bit dicey. I haven't winning by eight. Cal is at Oregon, 2.30 Saturday, Pac-12 Network. I'll go first here. Oregon's a 24.5-point favorite against Cal at home. Oregon is 6-1-1 one one against the spread this season. Their lone point spread loss came at home against Washington State, and it was a backdoor cover. The Cougars scored a touchdown with 58 seconds left. I think Cal coming off that USC game, I, I think about emotional letdown. I think it's tough to go to Oregon, especially the way Oregon's playing. The rankings are out. Oregon's players know that committee's watching them. I think Oregon covers the 24-and-a-half. I have it 48-21. So you don't see this as a trap game for the Ducks at all, after Utah and before USC? I don't. I just think the way the, the way that the rankings came out, the – you know they're aware of where they are. I think they know that Texas is right behind them. They know the committee beat up Washington for not playing well. I 
I just think Oregon comes out and and I you know I saw Cal earlier this year. I just don't think the Cal defense is what it was, and I think Oregon will put up. Uh, you know, I think I don't think they'll get fifty, but I think they'll challenge it. And I just can't see Cal getting more than about twenty-one in this game. Yeah, it's uh, last I saw it's supposed to rain, so you know that could have an impact on on the passing and the scoring situation. I pick Cal to cover because I just. You know, I, I think that they are better. They're not as good as everybody thought they'd be defensively, but they're a little bit better offensively now that they've got this freshman quarterback, Fernando Mendoza. So, you know, I'm looking at, I don't know, 45-24, something like that. I don't think it's going to be close, but also that big a number, you know, backdoor covers like what happened yeah. to the Ducks against the Cougars, that, that's a big Big wide back door opening. Yeah, and Oregon hasn't been into embarrassing anybody. I haven't, you know, outside of the Colorado game, I I haven't seen Oregon late in games leave guys in, or you know try to uh, emotionally, you know, they get they sort of let up a little bit against Washington State at the end, and they could do that against Cal. So you're, it's not a bad play by you, but I'll take Oregon. Washington's at USC, big game, interesting game. Four thirty, ABC. Huskies are a three point favorite. How do you see it? Well, I picked the Huskies to cover, but I wouldn't be surprised if USC wins this game because, you know, there's no guarantee Washington's going to play like it played against Oregon and like it was playing earlier in the season, right? They've hit this rut. I think some of it is boredom. They got out of that Ducks game. Then they're playing two teams, Stanford and, and Washington or Arizona State, that they're heavily favored over. You know, Penix isn't right. They were, Guys were sick. They haven't been right. And now, can they go from, like, second gear Back up to fifth gear, maybe, but I also don't think their defense is good enough, uh, you know, to stop USC. So I'm thinking oh, there's a lot of points, and it's probably comes down to you know either last couple possessions. The I, I find the the total to be just hilarious, seventy six and a half, uh, astronomical total, probably too low. I think it's going to end up being Washington, you know, 47, 45, 48, 45, something like that. I have it lower scoring, and maybe I'm off, but I went to bed on Wednesday night prepared to pick USC in an upset, right? USC's going to win this game. It's going to muddy everything up. The, you know, the temptation to pick that upset's there, and you mentioned it, and you can build that case because of how unimpressive Washington's been. I actually think Washington probably had that week seven game against Oregon circled on the calendar, and it felt a little bit to me like that was making it. That was their season, that Oregon game. They circled it. That was important, and they won it and kind of exhaled and and didn't play well. But I, as much as I want to pick USC in this game, I don't trust Lincoln Riley's team. I don't trust them to actually win this game. So I think I think the spread is wrong. I think it should be a pick'em at USC. Washington by three jumped off the page at me. I have it more like 31-30 Washington, but I think Washington knows how to win. I don't know if USC can do it, you know, amid uh, against a good team. And I think Washington is a good team. And so I'm going to pick the Huskies in a very close game. But give me USC in three at home because I think this game's really even. Fourth game is Stanford at Washington State. Sixth, easy, kind of a game easy to overlook here. 6.30, Pac-12 Networks. Cougars are favored by 13 and a half. I'll go real quick. I think that given how Washington State is playing and the fact that Stanford, you know, 
was very competitive against the Huskies, won at Colorado. 13 and a half to me is way too many points, even though it's in Pullman. Uh, I think there's an 80% chance of rain. I'm thinking this game is going to be very close, like a lot of the games they've played uh, against each other. So I've got Stanford covering that 13 and a half. I think Stanford could. I would, I'm not picking Stanford to win the game outright, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did, given the way the Cougars are playing. Simple for me, Washington's defense, Washington State's defense has given up 44, 38, and 38 points in the last three games. Stanford will move the ball. Stanford will score points. I still like you. I like Washington State to win, but I think they win by like seven, not 13 and a half. And so I think I have it 34-27, Washington State. But Washington State right now has to think about, you know, getting bowl eligible. They're, they started 4-0. They're now 4-4. Four four. This is, you know, this is the game. If, if they are going to make a run at bowl eligibility, this is the week. They beat Stanford. Oregon State's at Colorado. This is a game I'm going to be at. 7 o'clock Saturday, ESPN. Beavers have two losses this season, both on the road, both by three points. I'm going to give a warning to our listeners. Resist the temptation to pick against Oregon State this week. Oregon State is built for this game. They will run the ball. They will not have any problems scoring. I think they'll score 30-plus. I think they will make Colorado one-dimensional. Um, I think we may see a little more Aiden Childs this week at quarterback. I think this is the week to do it if you're Jonathan Smith. The Beavers are favored by 13.5. I think they cover it. I have it something like 34 or 35 to 17. I don't think Colorado is going to put up much of a fight in this one. All right. Well, you're you're talking directly to me because I've got the buffs covering that number. Uh, I think Oregon State will win, but – uh, you know, I haven't been overly impressed with the Beavers' defense on the road. Gave up a lot of points yep. in Pullman. Gave up, what, 27 uh, at Arizona. I am just not sure that they uh, that they can keep Shadur Sanders and that passing game out of the end zone enough to cover that number, right? Because, I, you know, I don't, I don't look at Oregon State as a team that's likely to score 40-plus, right? They're usually in that high 20s to mid-30s range. And... So to me, 13 and a half, I, I'd rather be on the take the take side of that than, than the give. So I've got Colorado to cover, but Oregon State to win. All right, here's a question I have for you. You've got DJ Uyunglele playing quarterback at Oregon State, and you know Jonathan Smith likes him. You can tell. He gets him into the right play at the line of scrimmage, but anybody watching them this season knows Aiden Childs is the future. He came into the Arizona game played one series. They've done that throughout the season, have him playing one series. He threw a ball 60 yards in the air for a completion. It was like, and then he another play, he pulls the ball and goes around the corner and just outruns the defense. I mean, he's, he can beat you with his arm. He can beat you with his legs. I would hate to see them try to throw Childs into the last two games of the year against Washington and Oregon without more reps. But do you play Aiden Childs more against Colorado this week and Stanford next week? Do you give him two series or three series? Do you ramp him up to see if maybe this is the kid you start in the final two games? Or do you stick with DJ, who's been who's been competent or a little better? Yeah, I think you stick with DJ as your primary guy unless he plays himself out of that role, right? Also, I have not checked, but 
Is Childs already played more games yeah. than uh, Redshirt allows? Yes, he is. Uh, okay. In his, I talked to his mother about it. She said that they knew before the season. They signed off on it. Um, he wants to play. Kid wants to play. He's 18, and he wants to play. Well, I mean, I I, th- I still think you got to go with, with DJ. Uh, it's hard to, to me, you know, you can't pull the starter unless it's, unless it's, it's obvious. Um, Arizona's situation is a little different. We can get to them next because they had an injury. But without an injury, I think you got to really – uh, it's got to be obvious in the locker room before you make that that change, and and to me, it's not. He's playing well enough to to hold the job. Yeah, they're they're playing Childs usually in the second quarter. He will come in for the first series, and I think they've scored on like eighty percent of those drives. And it's really, you know, I asked Smith yesterday, Jonathan Smith yesterday, you know, what is it going to take to ha- get Ch- Childs more reps? And he said. Well, sometimes when he takes over that series, we have a short field. He said we've thought about giving him another series. I would just keep an eye on it. I, I think you you stay with DJ as the starter because you don't want to wreck his confidence. But do you give him? Do you give Childs a third quarter series? Do you give him? You know, if he scores in the second, do you give him a second series? I just I think if you're gonna do it, this is this this stretch against Colorado and Stanford is the time to do it. And if you're not going to do it, that's fine. But I just kind of wonder if Oregon State wants to get to the end of the year and add a dimension to the to the offense by putting in a, a guy who re- clearly has got better feet than DJ, a little smoother. He's younger. He may make some mistakes, but you don't want to start him against Washington or Oregon unless you know that the proof of performance is there. So I just keep an eye on that in this week's game and and see if uh, Oregon State gives him a few more reps. Let's go to the final game. UCLA's at Arizona, 7:30, FS1. Bruins are a three-point favorite on the road. Yeah, I think this could be the best game of the of the weekend. Uh, and interestingly enough, both it's because both teams are really good on defense, which is not something that was not on my Pac-12 bingo card before the season. UCLA and Arizona both being really good on defense, especially the Wildcats, right? I mean, they're top 30 nationally. Their lines of scrimmage are much better. Their freshman quarterback, Noah Fafita, is playing great. You know, now that's a case where the starter, Jaden Delora, gets hurt. The backup comes in. The team is rolling with the backup, and you got to keep going. Uh, so I, I think it's this is going to be a terrific game, a little bit of an old-school game, maybe a little lower scoring, certainly lower scoring than than the Washington-USC game. I actually, I've been picking Arizona week after week. They're seven and one against the spread this season, but I've got UCLA this this week. I think the Bruins, uh, their front seven is very, very good, and I think it's going to kind of disrupt Arizona's offense just enough for UCLA to be able to cover close game, but UCLA covers two and a half. Yeah, I had a hard time with this one in part because UCLA is a different team from just you know three weeks ago when they were playing Dante Moore. Ethan Garbers has settled them down. And he's not making the mistakes. He's not throwing three picks in a game. And so I think UCLA, Arizona, I agree with you. Great game. I I think it's in the high 20s, uh, mid to high 20s. And I, for that reason, I'm going to take the home team in three points. I'll take Arizona in three. But I picked it UCLA 27, Arizona 26. That was my official pick. But I'll take Arizona in three. But I think it's going to be a dynamite. Pac-12 after dark uh, game featuring two teams that are sneaky. Like, I, I think either one of those teams on a given day could beat anybody. 
give me an idea. Is there a team that you think could be really disruptive that could be a spoil, a real spoiler as it pertains to the standings? There's seven teams in the conference right now that have two losses or fewer in conference play. So it's going to be a tight race. But who do you see as a team that could be really disruptive? I, mean, I like UCLA. The issue is UCLA, right, they're not playing Oregon or Washington. So we've only got, what, four weeks left? And so the disruption, the level of disruption kind of depends on who you've got to play. So uh, UCLA, certainly they could make Arizona's trip to, uh, uh, you know, path to the postseason more difficult. They could seriously disrupt USC's plans uh, in that game. But it's tough. It's tough to find a team that's playing multiple contenders. Uh, uh, Oregon State obviously would be would be there because the last two games they've got. Yeah, for me, it's Oregon State and it's USC. I mean, they both are sitting kind of off the pace in a weird in a way. USC only has one loss in conference play, like Oregon, but USC's got to play Washington this week. They play Oregon next week, and then the Beavers play the Huskies and the Ducks in the final two weeks, and they have the Huskies at home. And so I just kind of, you know, I look at Oregon State, and I know Beavers fans were all dejected after watching them lose to Arizona, and I said, gosh, let me just run a model here where Oregon State wins out. That would give Oregon two losses, and it would give Oregon State the head-to-head tiebreaker. And if if Washington doesn't beat USC or trips against Utah, the Beavers could get them. I mean, you could have a – you could have – several teams with two losses sitting in a multi-team tiebreaker and George Klyovkov with a quarter ready to flip it to decide who goes to the who goes to the you know title game it's just a it's a it's a weird uh season and i keep saying Oregon and Washington that's the game i want to see in Vegas i want to see the i want to see that rematch but i keep thinking gosh if they stumble this could get really messy and what happens if UCLA just wins out and doesn't you know they don't play Washington they don't play Oregon as you point out you know, it gets really muddy. It does. I mean, well, that happened last year too, right? I mean, Utah needed a series of fortunate results on the last week to get in. I think Utah started the last week with the fourth best chance to get into the championship game. And there they end up in, in Vegas, beating USC to win their second straight title. So we absolutely could have uh, a scenario like that for this, you know, potentially the second, the second spot. Uh, it would require Washington, either Washington losing twice or Oregon losing again. And uh, I don't know that either of those things is likely, but the, but this is this is the year something like that could happen because there are so many good teams. Yeah, I think well, that's why we'll tune in for it, right? And that's why they play the games. Uh, I'm John Canzano. He's John Wilner. You can read me at johnconzano.com. You can read him at pac12hotline.com. want to give a, another thanks to Pacific Seafood, the sponsor of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. Pacific Seafood's got great products, high-end, restaurant-quality products. They ship all over the country. If you are interested in sharing seafood with your friends and your family or your business partners this holiday season, go to pacificseafood.com. Locate the Where to Buy button when you're checking out. Use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, and you get 12% off your online purchase. Pacific Seafood, great products, and I know Wilner's excited uh, this holiday season to try it. We have for years in our family, as I mentioned, and uh, give them an opportunity to uh, show you what they can do, pacificseafood.com. John Wilner, you have yourself a great weekend. I'm going to go get on that uh, Halloween stuff out of the front yard and uh, 
try not to look bad in my neighborhood. Just watch how much candy you eat. <laughs> I love it. All right. Make sure you're subscribed as well. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, everyone.